Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby, at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus, at WaveBrandalore on Twitter, Instagram, several other places, uh, and you can find me on Discord as well. We're going to be trying out a little something new this week, where uh, Brandon has come up with a wonderful new segment that we're both very excited about because we feel like we don't highlight enough indie creators on this show. We love indie creators, and we find a lot of really cool stuff, and sometimes we find cool stuff that we don't feel like can fill up an episode. Yeah, we've we've run into that a couple of times. I was like, oh man, this is really cool. Let's talk about it. And then as we're planning out, what we're going to talk about we get to about like 15 minutes worth of content and we're like ah. <laughs> we do have we actually do a lot of planning on this show believe it or not um it's about 20 after 9 right now when we're starting to record this <laughs> and josh and i have been on a call for like more than an hour trying to plan out some future episode topics and we went down so many rabbit holes and got distracted so many times uh, Let but... me tell you, I'm really excited for some of the stuff we have planned to record <laughs> in the next, like, month and a half. Yeah, but, uh, so today we're going to start off uh, talking about uh, Indie Game. I think we're going to call this uh, segment Scratch That Indie Itch, because the gimmick's going to be we're just going to look on itch.io and find uh, the Indie Game, the Indie TTRPG games that we like and want to talk about. And then, and then, we're going to be talking about the the main topic of today's episode, which is a fill like our complete anticipation for uh journeys through the radiant citadel which is actually coming out tomorrow uh as you're listening to this for us recording this it's not tomorrow uh but the rest of your time travelers so go to your local gaming shop tomorrow and pick up a copy of it if that's your thing i'm uh i'm excited to talk a little bit about our experience with looking at that game <laughs> once we get to that segment yeah just a couple things up at the top uh thank you all very much for listening uh thank you for any five-star reviews you want to give us telephone telegraph tell a friend about the goblins and growlers podcast it really helps get it out in front of people uh and you know join us on the discord bit.ly slash goblin discord uh if you don't have anything else to do and you want to yell at us because we didn't pick your indie game that was up on itch uh if you want to suggest your indie game to us that's where you can find us and as always, tweet us at WaveBrandalore at BlackCloakDM, or if you want to get us both at the same time, at Goblins Growlers. And I'm going to add, well, we're doing bumper-type things. Uh, we are going to be at Queen City Anime Con August 5th through the 7th. It is going to be a vaccine or negative test within 72 hours of event required space. Masks are going to be required. We're going to be doing panels. We're going to be running live games. We're going to be doing live shows. Uh, we're going to have a merch booth, so if you're going to have time to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, we would love to see you and your beautiful faces there, or at least the parts of your faces that won't be covered by a mask. I'm glad you said that, because now I don't have to come up with a clever uh, bumper to put at the beginning of this episode, like my, <laughs> macho, like my macho man Randy Savage one I made with a soundboard the other week. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Queen City. Yeah, Co <laughs> cosplay. Yeah. Uh, if you need more details than that, go to queencityanimecon.com, which is a beautifully simple website. And uh, all those all those are going to be there for you. Absolutely. We'll see you there. Hopefully. 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 But uh, let's, uh, Josh, let's scratch that itch. Let's scratch that itch. So today we're going to be talking about a little game called Salt and Strife. 
Yeah, and just to get this out of the way up front, you can find Salt and Strife at qwo.itch.io slash salt hyphen strife and we'll put a link in the show notes on that but please go check it out um josh what is the story of us stumbling on salt and strife so before tess had the oh no yeah before tess told us that uh we should do (laughs) a did you did you just have a moment where you like has that episode come out yet yeah I, a little bit i was like wait can i talk about that yet is that a surprise uh but no no one's watching this live right now so before before we were told that we should do uh cryptids for july 4th we were like oh we should find a ttrpg that is super patriotic without being patriotic at all because brandon and i are not super patriotic people so we were like we'll find something it'll be like colonial era america and it'll be like an adventure game and we'll find a way to have that without it being really problematic. And I've got terrible news, which is basically all of those systems are problematic in some way or another. <laughs> and finding one that isn't is nigh impossible because every time I got really into one, I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be great. They'd be like, we've decided that uh, the Confederate Army actually weren't so bad. And it's like, mm, mm, nah, mm, no, we looked for a <laughs> long time to try to find something that would fit in that round hole. But we found nothing but square pegs, nothing but square pegs. Uh, but over the course of this intense Googling uh, came came upon Salt and Strife which uh, I'll read just the blurb for it. It's Salt and Strife is a tabletop role-playing game set in the early modern period, circa 1400s through 1800s. It's a game about a troop of adventurers who fight the villains of the age, colon, hijack empires and kidnap societies, uh, the vile upper classes, soldiers, and the so-called great men who command them. The heroes are pirates, vagabonds, brigands, or just honest common folk. Players are encouraged to smash the statues of traditional heroes of centuries past and erect their own instead. Something I hadn't really thought about until we were putting together notes for tonight is that this system has very powerful Assassin's Creed vibes. It kind of, yeah, now that, now that you mentioned that, because, yeah, we legitimately did not talk about this before we started recording, so this isn't <laughs> a planted conversation. But, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I'm, I'm 100% getting that. Yeah, because it's all about, like, oh, historical figures are actually not as cool as you probably think they are. Yeah. Here's some facts about them and why you might want to stab them in their sleep. Yeah, there's a bunch of different classes. There's the artisan, the barber, hyphen surgeon, the bloodthirsty, horrifying healer, uh, the beast, <laughs> some someone or something deemed beastly by society, conjurer, a purported spirit talker, deserters or a gang or gangs of escapees. A harlot is a social creature who transgresses moral convention. <laughs> the description for the leper is dying. Uh <laughs> The Libertine is one of Swinging Fortunes. The Pamphleteer is a printing press firebrand. The Poacher is a lonesome hunter. The Veteran is a disillusioned survivor. And the Worker helps others. Uh, So those are the character classes you can play. And uh, the entirety of the rules are on... uh, Each player gets a double-sided character sheet. And all the rules are contained in there that talks about rolling the dice, how you can do damage your item supplies, uh, your skills, your wants, all the different moves you have. I believe this is based on uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. So 
if you're familiar with any any of the myriad games built on that system, this will seem kind of familiar to you, especially with like moves and things like that. And it's a 2D6 resolution mechanic for everything. So pretty much everybody has 2D6, so you shouldn't have any issue there. This is I've, this I'll oh, go ahead. I've seen packs of cards that come with 2D6 in them. So mm-hmm. like there's no excuse for not having 2D6 somewhere in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh the author whose name I wasn't able to find, so if you did this uh please let us know i'm gonna actually get once this publishes i'm going to put a link to it in the comments <laughs> of this so hopefully they'll see it but uh, it says they say this is the second edition of salt and strife so i guess there was uh, an earlier version and actually this one isn't even a hundred percent complete if i'm being honest because uh there is a an appendix that has all kinds of stuff like uh, a glossary of period appropriate terms, things such as turn spit dog and clyster. And I'm not going to define either of those. You can look those up yourself. Uh, a list of uh, armory items that you might find in the period, maps of the world at the time, uh, cultural name charts, uh, sh- cultural ship names, cultural fashion, currencies. And then you get toward the end of the appendix and it looks like there's a couple of blank pages that maybe were unfinished or just left unfinished for the time being but regardless it's still a a wealth of information about the period that can help uh bring a lot of verisimilitude to whatever game you're trying to run in this and like 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 it says it it works between the 1400s and the 1800s just sort of uh the early modern period not to solely advocate for this creator but it is theoretically possible that those pages were left blank intentionally so that if you wanted to add things of your own to the appendix. That's 100% true. I can, I can neither confirm nor deny that. Um, <laughs> we'll and, have to track this person down and ask them ourselves. Yes. And uh, they even they even are helpful and they say, is Salt and Strife not exactly what you're looking for? Here are some other role-playing games set in the early modern period where players are neither great men nor soldiers fighting glorious wars of empire. And then it gives a long list. But I really like how this is just sort of down-to-earth take on just how awful uh, the early modern world was to everybody. The, the GM gets their own double page of rules that's separate from the ones the players get. And it's got the GM's maxims on it. And some of them are... Make the early modern world seem nasty, colorful, and unfair. (laughs) Cast down great men. Keep always striving against those in power. Uh, Like getting the party to do that. So it's it's not exactly tearing down the whole, uh, the, the great man theory of history, but it's acknowledging the great man theory of history and saying, let's burn it to the ground. If you're the kind of person who has been constantly talking about how uh, they would love to just wheel a guillotine out into the streets and, you know, take care of problems, uh, odds are good this book is for you. Yeah, definitely. And it's <laughs> it's pay what you want and you get uh, four, four files. You get a, a role sheet, which is essentially the character sheets, the GM sheet, the troop sheet, uh, and the appendices. Uh, throw this person some money. And then they, three months ago, in the, their own comments on this, uh, they uh, dropped some thematic music inspiration, like violin concertos and things. Uh, and I listened to one of them yesterday, and it really it really fits with everything. So check this out, Salt and Strife. Uh, it's qwo.itch.io slash salt hyphen strife. And we'll, like I said, we'll put notes in the, uh, in the, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. 
Uh, the art style is really cool. I think a lot of it is just public domain art that they've grabbed, but it, it just fits thematically perfectly with what they're doing. I'm really looking forward to trying to run something in this once I have some time, uh, but definitely check it out. And uh, this, this is what's scratching my itch today. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the slightly meatier content uh-huh. for the evening, which is Journey Through the Radiant Citadel which we've already mentioned is something we're going to talk about coming out tomorrow as of the release of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure Wizards. some I'm sure some people already got it. They snuck it out the door of their friendly local gaming store, <laughs> you know, uh, this evening or the evening before or anything like that. They they know a guy who will let them like get it out of the box in the alley in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh, um, nutshell uh, journeys through the Radiant Citadel for us. So as as I understand it, the concept is that it's going to be a bit more of an adventure and setting book. Mm-hmm. There is a kind of kind of an asteroid situation where there's a society that's living out in space. They are on a hub location. The hub location is connected to a bunch of places via portals. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of individual societies that exist all in I guess congruence is congruence the word I'm looking for with each other. Not quite, but it works. Uh, you can tell also, my brain's not entirely here. Also, I'm a, you're you're mostly right, but you're also a little wrong. It's not out in space. It's out in the ethereal. It's deep in the ethereal plane. Oh, that's right. You're thinking of Spelljammer, Josh. <laughs> I just look. We've talked so much about Spelljammer. Everything is in space now. Mm-hmm. Eth- ethereal plane. Uh, material plane, whatever it might be, it's all in space. I'm not going to lie, though. You could just replace ethereal plane with space, and this would make just as much sense. Well, like, the, even the co-lead designer was like, yeah, it's very solar punk. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really a, an anthology book. Um, it's, it's along the lines of Candlekeep Mysteries that came out last year. It's got 13 unique adventures. Uh, that vary in level from like 1 to I think 14 or something like that. And it introduces the Radiant Citadel, which is a hub location in the Ethereal Plane. And it connects other locations. It connects two other locations on the Material Plane. So the um, the real hook for this is uh, there's all these different cultures that are living together at the, the, the Radiant Citadel. And they've all emigrated there from... Uh, the locations on the material plane where their different cultures are from and we'll get into a little bit sort of like the mechanisms for these things but like the really cool hook for this is sort of the 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 meta reason why it's interesting and part of that has to do with why josh and i didn't want to talk about this game in the first place because uh it was a few weeks ago i think we were talking about what what we should discuss and then we're looking at you know what's coming up on the wizard's release schedule and everything and this book had actually gotten delayed. Uh, it's interesting because it was originally supposed to release in June, but production issues forced a delay of a few weeks. And uh, yeah, Polygon had some Polygon.com had some reporting on it, and it says uh, that uh, rules the rules expansion gift set, which was another product that came out, it was printed printed in China, 
And that's why it was delayed. It was another product that was delayed by a little bit. And then Polygon asked whether those international logistics also played a role in the delay of Citadel. And the quote from Wizards was, production and logistics of the in the U.S. and abroad are continuing to see complications and difficulties. We produce D&D products in a variety of locations to mitigate reliability risks, as well as get the game to our players faster, and we'll continue to do so moving forward. So... Radiant Citadel encountered domestic production issues uh, that came up like really late in the process, which is why the release date had to be pushed. It's odd to me that it had to be pushed only by a month. Usually when you think about production delays, you're thinking more of like a two, three month delay timeline on there. But anyways, that's why it's coming out tomorrow and it didn't come out last month. So well, I think it's I think it's worth noting that most of the time that you have production delays, it's because the product has not been finished so that it can be shipped off to the printers. This to me honestly sounds like they finished the product sent it off to the printers to get printed and the printers mm. were like uh i i have some bad news for you guys <laughs> yeah if i had and, to guess i would say it probably was a supply chain issue with paper or wood or pulp or something like that I'm exactly just taking, i'm taking a wildly uneducated guess but that's what we do on these kind of uh quote unquote <laughs> news discussion podcasts as we wildly speculate but anyways sort of getting back to what's interesting about this um i don't know if anybody remembers when candlekeep mysteries came out last year i'm guessing this is something that maybe flew under a lot of people's radars but there was some controversy at least from one of the authors about sort of some of the aggressive editing that uh wizards did to the story that they submitted like they cut it down by like more than a third i think and they introduced elements into it this um this author is a person of color and they introduced elements into it that were very uh very much colonialism uh that were not intended by the author and it sparked a little bit of a twitter firestorm for a few weeks um and i just kind of rolled my eyes because i can understand the need to cut something down like if you hire a contractor to write something that needs to be like 5,000 words and they give you 8,000 words, like you have to cut something out. But it just seemed that they were actively inserting things that there was no, that the author had no intention of putting in there, like the, the sort of vague colonialism themes. Um, and I think, I think there might've been some like white savior stuff in there as well f from the adventuring party, um, you know, quote unquote white, white savior, like that kind of archetype. But uh, so having that in the back of my head, because uh, I think I think Josh and I last year actually recorded an episode talking about that. But it was one of the episodes from the initial batch when we were trying to get the podcast off the ground that turned out to have really terrible audio because we didn't think about something like we recorded it all on one audio track. So we eventually just had to scrap it. And then the time had passed. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it at all. I was going to ask if that was, I remembered having a lot of conversation with you about that. And I was like, did we record that? Is that somewhere in the feed? No, it's nowhere. It exists. <laughs> it exists on our Google Drive as a really, really crappy piece of audio that Alan just kind of threw his hands up at and was like, there's no way I can save this and I'm not going to try. Oh no, you've told, you've told the fan base that the audio still exists somewhere. We were supposed to tell them that we buried it in an abandoned mine no, it's somewhere east of town. It's in the desert with all those ET cartridges. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so with that informing, uh, so that was the last anthology book that they published, unless you count uh, like the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which that's another. 
that's a whole other can of worms. But just as sort of a um, quote-unquote new type of product because Van Richten's tied to Ravenloft. But so something like different, something new. It was, this is the next anthology book that came out. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Uh, it just didn't excite me. And I wasn't super excited about talking about it because I didn't want, because we've talked a lot about Wizards content lately. And I didn't want this to become just us talking about Wizards uh, and standing for them in the hopes that we would get some kind of, you know, promotional stuff from them because i don't really want to be that way but you know if you do want to send me some books to give honest reviews of i will happily receive them uh you can send them to our po box and we'll put uh the po box in the show notes was if you're listening <laughs> i was gonna say like not that not that we'd be opposed of course yeah. to receiving free things but anyways anyways getting off the self-hype train a little bit <laughs> um so this was something that escaped my notice until recently i did not know that journeys through the radiant citadel was uh, written entirely by black and brown authors and immediately that changed my perspective on it and that I felt like we really needed to talk about it and then once it comes out actually get a copy of it and read through it and talk about it a little bit more um, I don't know what your reaction to all that is Josh because we haven't we we've try, I think we've tried to save this discussion a little bit for the actual podcast so how how do you feel about that sort of uh, stacking it up against what happened when Candlekeep Mysteries came out. I mean, I haven't seen any buzz around this, which Wizards has been a little bit under the microscope lately for yeah. stuff like this. So yeah. I would expect that if there was buzz, I would have seen something. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen any buzz about things being misrepresented. Usually authors get their test copies a couple of months in advance of an actual release. So I'm feeling pretty good about this overall. Like, it there's the small part of me that's like is wizards just doing this for representation but that's outweighed by you know i can't sit here and be like wizards needs to be doing more with representation and then be like oh but a book that's just poc like that's not acceptable like why wouldn't that be acceptable yeah. so I'm I'm for this. I am absolutely for this. I hope it's really well executed. I hope that the authors really got to fulfill their visions in this mm -hmm. book and that what happened with Candlekeep Mysteries was a learning experience for wizards that mm -hmm. they, you know, got some sensitivity readers involved, made sure that they were more communicative with their authors about any changes they wanted to make and from there are creating something that's really inclusive and really well established and very excellent all around. Yeah. And the uh, adventures are all inspired by the folklore mythology and lived experiences from the writers and the cultures that they came from. And that's according to Ajit George and Wes Schneider, who are the co-lead designers of Radiant Citadel. Uh, there's actually uh, this, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit during our Spelljammer episode, but I discovered recently uh, how pretty much on every one of these release pages, if you scroll down to the bottom, Wizards produces a, a, like a couple or series of interviews with folks responsible for it going into a lot of detail about stuff, which is great because like they're doing my work for me in terms of researching this. They're just, they're condensing all this stuff together. Now, granted it, it makes it a one source story because I'm getting it directly from them, but I think it's really important to get perspectives from the people in charge of the project. Um, if I would advise anybody to go and listen to uh, 
both of these. I think, yeah, I think there's just one where Ajit is talking about what the Radiant Citadel is and sort of what's behind it and how the book came about. And then uh, there's another one with both him and Wes Schneider talking about uh, some details and some interesting new stuff that they've got. And we'll touch base on some of that as we talk. But it's incredibly worthwhile to watch those videos, uh, especially if you have just, you, you want to get a real nice digestible uh, preview of what's coming up in the book because uh, you can get a lot from that since they're the people in charge of it rather than trying to dig through like uh, Den of Geek or Dicebreaker or Polygon or Bella Lost Souls to try to find some solid nuggets of information. Just watch the videos at one and a half speed. You'll be done in a few minutes. Um, but uh, Josh talked too about how uh, the game is kind of solar punk and that's how Ajit described it he was just sort of going through talking about the like how to define the genre and he says yeah you know it's 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 solar punk there's this better future that we have to fight for and it's kind of a response to uh grimdark aesthetics and writing and i don't know if he was maybe taking a shot at ravenloft there uh like a really like casual friendly shot like not everything has to be super serious and dark Honestly, I would wonder if he's actually taking a shot at Dark Sun. I mean, it doesn't get much darker than that in terms <laughs> of just scrapping around to survive, you know? Because, like, that's been a lot of, like, what's on the tongue of folks as we're talking about things like Spelljammer. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we've got Spelljammer now. Like, how close are we to Dark Sun? And here's Ajit being like... It doesn't all need to be, you know, Spelljammer and Dark Sun. Like, we can have fun, too. Yeah, well, until that day comes, I've got my reprinted second edition Dark Sun book. <laughs> that I paid like $30 for once I figured out you could pay to get these things printed, even though they were out of print. But um, let's dive into a little bit of the details about Radiant Citadel. I'm going to just read... Uh, from well before I do that I want to say Josh and I discovered something today because like yeah I was doing uh, I was putting together our show notes yesterday and doing some research and I found on D&D uh, &D Beyond there was a Radiant Citadel product that was already available I was like oh well heck yeah it was essentially like a, a an offer that you could claim so I logged in under the Goblins and Growlers D&D Beyond account and clicked on it and it let me access this really fantastic essentially essentially it's a wiki site inside of DD beyond that just goes through radiant citadel it's got features noteworthy sites the concord jewels which we'll get into in a minute life in the citadel groups in the citadel citadel defenses uh all this stuff i was like heck yeah this is a f this is fantastic so i put the i put the link to it in our show notes and then i sent it to josh and he looked at it tonight he's like it's just taking me to this page that says the product's not available anymore <laughs> So I guess I claimed it on the last day it was available, you know, like, th you know, two, three weeks before the uh, the books actually released. I don't know. I don't care because I got it and it was immensely helpful. But I'll read from uh, the uh, sort of intro to the Radiant Citadel. Uh, and this is from the D&D Beyond Info page that if you don't have it already, you can't get, I guess. That's just the way it goes. Uh, <laughs> 
But against the unending mist and unseen terrors of the ethereal plane, the radiant citadel stands bright as a bastion of hope. It's a living relic of the ingenuity and collaboration of 27 great civilizations. Abandoned and lost for ages, the citadel was resurrected from its slumber and reclaimed by the descendants of those societies, though some peoples remain missing. The city serves as a nexus of diplomacy and trade, a repository of histories and secrets, and a thriving sanctuary for those seeking safety or a better life. Uh, so it does cast a very hopeful tone uh, right at the beginning. And then it talks about it being a miracle of architecture, a floating city carved out of a single mass. Well, that's another thing that we haven't really talked about. So the city is built on top of this massive fossil of this ancient creature that like the city is surrounded uh, by that. And in the, in the center is the auroral diamond, which is just this massive crystal spike that is cuts through perpendicular to the city and Ajit in one of his interviews was talking about how in his head this creature was nearing the end of its life and it wrapped itself around the auroral diamond maybe for warmth maybe because it comforted them or whatever but then it died and its body fossilized and then other people were able to discover it um I think this kind of hub location out sort of in the, be it the ether, be it space, be it the ethereal plane, anything like that. I think it's a little tropey. Uh, I think it's a little overdone. Um, but I don't think that gets in the way of it being like a really useful device because one of the things, all right, well, this is like the next complicated thing about the setting is uh, the city is orbited by these things called the Concord Gems. And as they were describing this in the video, I just started thinking of them as almost like a, a Ferris wheel or something, how you get in those little um, compartments on a Ferris wheel and it just goes around. So the Concord Gems orbit the Citadel and then they occasionally dock with the Citadel and you could board them and then they go back out and then they plane shift to the material plane. And that's how you can get from all these different civilizations locations to the uh, ethereal plane, to the Radiant Citadel. So that's how people originally came to the Citadel. And that's how people go back and forth because it's a hub. So all these civilizations all across the uh, material plane can trade uh, and, you know, trade knowledge, trade goods, things like that because of the existence of the citadel as a hub to connect them it definitely has very strong sci-fi vibes where you've got like oh there's the the mining asteroid that's uh built out of the celestial's head a la guardians of the galaxy like you know like it's got that sort of general where it's like yeah there's a lot of societies that exist here and all kind of melting pot together uh, and it's all floating out there. I think that's part of why I keep thinking about it as, a sp as being in space, because they're like, it's in the ethereal plane. I mean, it's you know, basically space. floating. It's basically <laughs> space. And then you get on these floating, like these flying stargates and you go to other places. <laughs> I mean, strip it all away. That's what it is. But I, I, I have no quarrel with the way they've dressed it up. Oh, no, not at all. And it's, I really love those sorts of like, cultural melting pot situations because it gives you an opportunity to have really interesting interactions with the party and the locals 
that you don't always get in slightly more I I don't know that vanilla is really the word I'm looking for, but more homogenous societies in a general high fantasy world where it's like, oh, yeah, this is the elven city full of elves. Like you're going to be hanging out in trees and people are going to be really long lived and, Mm -hmm. you know, etc. Like here's an abandoned mine. I wonder what kind of people we're going to find down there. (laughs) Right. Like you instead get this like collection of people it ends up feeling a lot more like los angeles where there's a ton of different kinds of people who are living a ton of different kinds of lives all gathered in one place forming one community Mm -hmm. so we've got the cultures all coming here to sort of commune to to melt together like there's still strife because uh in much the same much the way that the concord jewels are allow trade and things like that to happen it also makes it really easy to wage war against these other people because you can just hop on you know get some folks to hop on the jewels and then go invade another one of these civilizations on the material plane another really interesting aspect uh about this setting is the dawn incarnates and uh you know so that like we said the or- the or- auroral diamond is cutting right through the center of the city and there's uh a thing inside it called the preserve of the ancestors and you can access it by going in through the diamond and in there are these dawn incarnates and there is essentially the guardian spirits for each civilization i don't remember what all of them were like there was like a tiger i know one of them was a pangolin which i thought was an interesting choice and i was happy to see it uh but these are essentially totemic creatures that reflect the uh history of a place and its people so that's how they're tied to these civilizations and they take these animal forms um one interesting thing that i thought uh i kind of liked just how upfront they were being about the description of this like these creatures know uh like they're they're a literal manifestation of a place's mythology and history so they know everything so uh, one of the things that was said was like well like let's say your characters need to find out information about, you know, uh, XYZ legend or historical thing that happened. These people are perfectly perfect repositories for lore dumps. So, you don't have to manufacture something silly if you really need to spell something out for your players. There's there's a built-in mechanism for that on here. And it can also and it also makes them sort of natural quest givers too, so you can start adventure threads on that as well. Uh, I, th- I thought that was really cool. I thought that was like a different... It was a bit of a different take on things than what we've seen recently. Um, the closest... And, you know, somebody is definitely going to correct me. Or not correct me, but at least suggest that I'm missing something. Which is possible because I pretty much skipped uh, third, third and a half, and fourth edition. But when I was reading this, the closest thing it reminded me of was the Dark Lords in old second edition Ravenloft. Where Ravenloft was like that whole demiplane that was broken up into essentially different countries and each one had its own dark lord uh so something like that but nicer positive dark lords and there's also guidance in the book uh on uh like include how to include this in your homebrew setting because obviously the concord jewels give you the ability to go back and forth and wherever and there are actually like lost civilizations that are part of this too so what's to say that uh, this group that you created in your homebrew game actually isn't one of the lost civilizations. And then you could incorporate that 
into this. You know, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I really felt like this represents the whole concept of Radiant Citadel and sort of the meta plan that they had for putting it together really represents them learning from their mistakes um, from from not just uh, the controversy with Candlekeep Mysteries, but also sort of that baked-in racism from uh, Ravenloft for so many years with the Vistani that everybody, like, people knew that was problematic in 1984. They just didn't do anything about it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to criticize Wizards of the Coast. Often it is appropriate to criticize Wizards of the Coast, probably more often than not. But I appreciate that this at least appears to be a step in the right direction where they're trying to look back and recognize that mistakes were made, but all we can do is try to move forward a little bit better. Um, and trying to make it even seem a little bit more cohesive, too, uh, all the writers shared their notes with each other while they were writing it. So you've actually got these civilizations influencing each other as well uh, to help tie everything in and make it feel less like an anthology book, even though it's an anthology book. And so you've got 16 writers writing about a place that's inhabited by 13 civilizations. All of the writers are sharing notes. And I think that helps a lot when it comes to, at the very least, when it comes to creating something where your group is going to be interacting with these other groups a lot, then it's a lot easier to go, oh, well, they're creating this kind of people and my people are very like focused on these things. So they probably get along really well on these specific topics and maybe they don't get along so great on these other topics. And it makes everything feel more natural and more mm -hmm. real. Yeah, because if these folks have been existing alongside in some way, shape or form for hundreds of years, there's going to be influence because everybody influences everybody and there nobody's going to be siloed when they're all living here cuz like you're talking about like it's Los Angeles like yeah. everything's going to affect everything yeah. um i they did mention you know how they all still maintain like a clear identity all of the adventures it seems like are broken up into you know particular civilizations uh so you get to experience them um they outlined 3 of them that are in there uh one's called ways of vice and it's a level five adventure and it's set in a very like afro-caribbean culture there's another one called orchids of the invisible mountain and uh it's described as being a multi-planar adventure so i'm guessing you're going to a lot of different places it's level 14 so you're probably going to a lot of very dangerous places but it was described as having a very fey influence and that interested me because I was under the impression that we were all coming from like human cultures in this. Cause obviously there are no like fey creatures who wrote this uh, unless Alon had a, a, a side gig that he didn't tell us about, but I'm, I'm curious to read that one because I'm wondering sort of what the cultural mythological influence on that was given the, the backgrounds, the, the, the backgrounds of the writers on this one because i have a feeling it's not your standard like you know fey uh aladrin kind of situation going on there it has to be something a little bit different and a little bit deeper to fit in with what they're trying to do in this book 
Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but it would be, I would be very disappointed if it was just standard Faye stuff. <laughs> you'll, you'll be really disappointed if it's pointy eared elves in the forest with yes. the Faye creatures. <laughs> yes. Pointy eared elves in the forest. My, my, my D and D bugaboo that I absolutely hate. <laughs> Because every game seems to revolve around that, and I would just like something different. Um, but it's yeah, fine. <laughs> I don't know. Just based off of the name being Orchids of the Invisible Mountain, I don't know what's going to be involved in that. But I'm genuinely very curious, and I'm excited to read it and see what kinds of plot hooks they've got in there. Because, hell yeah. Yeah. And the the other one they talked about it's called Fiend of the Hollow Mind. It's a level 4 and it is very clearly transparently Dia de los Muertos. Um Aja was talking about it in the interview just saying like, "Yeah, you know, uh, there's one day a year where the dead actually come back and they can interact with their families and everything." I'm sure there's a bit more of a twist to it somewhere there um to give it, you know, some uh, appropriate flavor, but uh I I I don't know. I kind of like and don't like how it's like, yeah, we're taking this well-known cultural thing and we're just doing this with it. Um, I was kind I was kind of hoping, and maybe we'll see this with some of the other ones. Um, I was kind of hoping that they would twist it enough to where maybe I would have to think a little bit to recognize what they were drawing from. Uh, and maybe that's the case with all the other ones. And maybe the twist on, the, on Fiend of the Hollow Mind is going to be something that I didn't even see coming. But just looking at the art for it and the description, I was like, hey, wait a minute. That's not very subtle at all. Well, there there is, as part of Dios de los Muertos, there is something that I think not a ton of people know, which is that it is still a little bit of a spooky day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all about celebrating family, but it's also... You know, there are bits of interacting with the undead that aren't entirely safe. Mm -hmm. And so there's like part of the, you know, being able to offer things like sugar skulls and things like that is for your protection. So wait a minute. It's not entirely safe. It's so it's dangerous. It's all about family. I think you've just stumbled onto the plot of (laughs) Fast 10. Fast 10 uh family family finds a way in the afterlife like i was saying i was i I hope (laughs) that there's a twist in there that is a little bit different than just what i'm expecting from it yeah i mean i think even if it's just something where they're like hey let's explore this topic from an angle that not a lot of media does Mm -hmm. i i think that's gonna be cool yeah that's gonna be a good time and so we don't know anything else about any of the other adventures that are in there. But uh, one thing did show up on Facebook today while we were getting ready. And it was, uh, I think it's for a level five adventure. I can't remember the name of it. But it says Dancers Wanted, Safety Not Guaranteed. And it has like a drawing of a dancer over on the right side. And it says Wanted, someone to take a dance on an erupting volcano with me. This is not a joke. Ask for Alan at the Twin Gods Observatory. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I have only done this once before. Now, obviously, that's just the classic meme that they've repurposed for D&D. However, if that actually appears in this book... It will be worth the MSRP for that. <laughs> I, I I don't really have anything like substantive to say other than it's really stupid and I love it. 
I want so badly. This better whole, be a quest hook. The whole premise of that quest hook to be that no one believes that that volcano is active except this guy. I think you've just written something that needs to be published if it is not actually in the book like that. Uh, and uh, like uh, one more thing is that it's got they're touting 11 new monsters that are going to be in here. So not exactly like a big bestiary or anything like that, but they're just trying to add some new things, probably with a bit of an ethereal twist. Probably some of them are going to be influenced by the material plane areas that you can go to. Uh, one of them was called, uh, I didn't write this down in the show notes, but one of them was called like the Whistler, I think. And it, it just the description, and there may have even been some sketch art that I saw of it, but it gave off very much a, like a Slenderman vibe. Ooh. Uh, but don't don't quote me on that because I could be wrong. You know uh, I do like me some Slenderman. Yeah, exactly. Bill, Bill Slenderman. <laughs> so anyways, that's that's really sort of the long and short of what we, and I mean we as in me and Josh, not just the general public, know about uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. I'm excited for it. I'm more excited for it than I thought I would be if you'd asked me three weeks ago, uh, just because I learned a lot about it while I was researching why I didn't want to talk about it, and it changed my mind. Yeah. It's, it is nice to have our minds changed in a positive way when it comes to Wizards content. Yeah. We're we're so accustomed to having the opposite be the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, Josh, do you have anything to add as we wrap up talking about uh, Radiant Citadel? Well, I mean, just generally, I'm, I'm excited conceptually for the book. I'm a lot more excited than I anticipated being. Mm-hmm. I am really looking forward to having some conversations with folks about what we find once mm-hmm. I get my hands on a copy. Yep. Uh, again, like, as as you and I so frequently talk about, I don't think I'm going to ever end up running this stuff. But I love books like these because they broaden my creative horizons mm-hmm. and allow me to build things that I never would have thought to build before I read them. Yeah, and and like we talked about too, like representationally, it's it's a nice maybe quarter or half step forward. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's at least forward motion. It is it is the appropriate gesture to put a little a little salve over the Candlekeep Mysteries debacle. So run out and get yours from your friendly local gaming store tomorrow. Uh, and then tell us what you think about it. Jump on the Discord, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord, in the GNG Podcast channel and tell us how wrong we are about our takes and tell us what yours are. And maybe we'll read some of them on the air. Um, tell us what we got wrong or we'll, and we'll do one of those swell corrections uh, for you. Because uh, I, know, I, know, uh, I know Snapshot loved that when he got to listen, <laughs> he got to, listen to us call him right on the podcast he's like that was a fantastic correction (laughs) everybody wants to hear that they were correct yeah absolutely and if you want to be a bit more private in your criticism or praise uh, i'm at way of brandalore on twitter josh what are you i'm at black cloak dm on twitter and as all go ahead we combined our at goblins growlers on twitter that's true and uh as always, uh, we appreciate any five-star reviews that you want to leave on your podcast platform of choice. If it's less than a five-star review, please send it to us privately so we can address your concerns and uh, boost you up from a three to a four to a four and a half or to a five. So you can leave it publicly. That would be swell. <laughs> um, 
uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Get it in front of as many people as you can. Uh, have an awkward situation where you invite a friend over and you say, hey, I really would like you to listen to this for a few minutes. And then you sit on the couch for the whole hour awkwardly while they try to find a way to get out of this circumstance, but you won't let them. Tell a group of friends that you're having a party and then when they arrive, lock them inside and make them listen to the podcast as a group. It'll be a great time and no one will murder you. Exactly. All right. (laughs) Well, I think that's all we've got for this time. We'll be back in two weeks with a topic yet to be decided. That's what we spent about an hour before recording this episode trying to figure out. Um, But uh, we'll see you then. Bye, y'all.